Chrysalis. We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're doing Free Rider Friday for the month of August. Hey, Ed, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, Ron. I got a chance to spend some time in Atlanta this week, which is besides it was very cool actually so i was very happy about that yeah for august huh that's good mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no it was not bad yeah good good stuff well you you know Ed, i'm checking i'm sitting here going through uh u-haul rates from the bay area to las vegas san diego phoenix or toronto and why would that be, Ron? Because <laughs> <laughs> Porsche Passport is expanding into those cities. I know. I saw that. I think that's, that's so cool that they've done that. And, man, I, every time I get a chance to talk about that, I, I'm reminded of the stat that you dug up. I'm not sure where you got it, but that 70% of the people who are doing Porsche Passport are new to the brand. It's 80%. 80%. And, 80%. and it was from the Zora newsletter. And in fact, you brought it up. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) See, you know, it's it's really sucks getting old, Ron. I know. I know. It it has been said that we share a brain, so that might be what's going on. I could have just taken credit for it and not say anything, but uh, yeah. No, I, I talk about this all the time, and people are just blown away by that, that 80% Mm -hmm. figure. And I just, you know, I just love. Uh, now, of course, they've got the uh, they've got an app, Porsche Porsche Passport app that you can download. You have to put a deposit in if you want to, uh, you know, secure your position in this program. But you know, I just love what they say. You want to drive a Cayenne today and a Cayman tomorrow? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is just this is just amazing. I think this is going to be a massive shift in the automobile industry. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And it, it happens more and more every day. And I'm, I'm actually kind of down that I ended up buying a car this year because I got to think that, that in, in a year or two, it's, it's going to be a no brainer the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just glad to see them expanding. That just means it's successful. And I, I just think they're going to continue to roll with this. Mm-hmm. It's yep, interesting. No, I agree. The cities, it's interesting. The cities they pick, they, they, you know, they, that must be, I don't know if they're if that's just a crapshoot or some strategic reason behind Phoenix, San Diego, Las Vegas, and Toronto, but th- those. <laughs> yeah, like, they certainly don't have anything in common weather-wise. Yeah, <laughs> well, Vegas and Phoenix, maybe you know, maybe, yeah. but well, San Diego's pretty nice weather year-round. I guess if you're looking for convertibles, but you certainly wouldn't be looking for convertibles in Toronto. But either way, it's just cool to see that program expanding. I mean, people don't think the subscription model has got legs. Uh, I got news for them. They're wrong. That's, that's all I have to say about that. But, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe they're testing 
different state and local ordinances around it, right? Because the big thing, and we've, we talked a little bit about this when we, we have talked about Porsche Passport before, is that it's an end around to a certain extent around the dealer network. Yeah, and that I don't that I don't understand about the program whether or not like the local dealer is the one that you know they say you've got the concierge white glove service that will drive you out the new car or whatever. I I gotta believe they're doing that through the dealer, but I don't know. Point is, it doesn't have to be. True. Right. True. And and you know all all I know is that the sale of a car has to happen through a, de- a, a dealer. And maybe that's just, you know, maybe they can use the dealer for this instead. That, I mean, the dealer is going to have to find other ways to add value. I'm sure that the dealers are, pr- are probably the ones that, that are going to be servicing these vehicles anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So, and, and know. storing them. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, yeah. But either way, no, uh, we're watching a, we're, we're watching a tectonic shift. Um, in the way that you buy cars. Yes. And, and I, and I think it's going to continue in other industries as well. You know, that Nike came out with the, this, you can subscribe to the shoes now for kids. Yep. It's relatively expensive, but still, I mean, I, I would, I would have had to think about that long and hard based on, you know, the amount of shoes that I had to buy for kids growing up and how quickly they grow out of them. And exactly. Yeah. that did, did you ever look at the price? What is the price? Um, you know, I, I, I Hector, our great listener, Hector did look at it and he, he reported back to me that it was pretty pricey. Uh, but I didn't, I don't recall looking at it per se. So I'll, right. I'll have to dig into that. Maybe I'll do that during the, during a break, but I, I did not see the actual rates. It, it was just been reported that it's fairly pricey. Right, because I bet you if you did add add up what you spend on shoes for a growing kid, it'd be pretty pricey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, it that definitely is, especially if you're sticking with with one one particular brand. And I think that's really the key is that you're locking in them to to Nike as opposed to just you know for kids' shoes you might bounce around, you might try New Balance and uh and but but through the subscription you're locking them in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Ed, that's that's what I started with. So you're up. All right, I'm up. Well, I there's a couple things that that we do talk about on our bonus show, but I can't help but repeat on Free Rider Friday because they're sig- so significant. And one of them is that I have a new hero. And Ron, oh, you yeah. you you will recall this from last week. We talked about this on our bonus episode, but I have to repeat this because it's such an important story. I think, and we've been both following with concern the protests in Hong Kong and there was the shutdown of the airport. What was that? I think that was about three weeks ago. Right. And after the protest, the Chinese government sent a guy by the name of Rupert Hogg, who's my new hero, if only because he's got a great name, Rupert Hogg. (laughs) He is now the former CEO of uh, Cathay Pacific Airways because he was sent an email from the Chinese government, which, by the way, is the second largest shareholder mm-hmm. in Cathay yep. Pacific. Yep. And ordering him to send a list of all of the employees that took place in the protests in Hong Kong. And he asked that they be suspended from work. He responded with a list that had one name on it 
and that would have been his own. And then he promptly resigned. I love it. Yeah. Cause you're right. Cat, cat, uh, China demanded something else out of Cathay too. I just read this in the economist. I forget what it was, but they complied. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, they, they own a chunk of it. What are you going to do? You know, but mm-hmm. I, I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. So profile and modern profile and courage, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Yep. Um, all right, Ed. Well, I know we're, we're coming up against it here, but uh, let me drop one on you that I'm sure you saw because it's out of fee. Barry Brownstein wrote this uh, Wednesday, August 28th. Steve Jobs unveiling the iPhone. Um, the original vision that Jobs had for the iPhone was an iPod that could make calls. And, um, you know, in his introduction, you know, he, um, when he introduced this, that's kind of what he focused on. And he was dismissive of the idea that the iPhone would become more of a general purpose mobile computer with a bunch of third party apps. He actually said, quote, the second we allow some knucklehead programmer to write some code that crashes it, that will be when they want to call 911. <laughs> and, and the point of this article, and I thought it was really good, you know, it goes in and it quotes Hayek and said, you know, Hayek's great line, the mind can never foresee its own advance. You know, Steve Jobs couldn't imagine how the use of his iPhone would morph, right? based upon user feedback. I mean, he didn't think text was a big deal. The camera wasn't a big deal. There was weak applause when he showed the camera, right? Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. Uh, There was no video back then. But one of the points that the uh, article makes is, if Steve Jobs couldn't imagine the iPhone and what it would morph into, what makes us think politicians can? (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, liberty and another great Hayek line, liberty is essential in order to leave room for the unforeseen and the unpredictable. So I just, I just absolutely love that. You know, we talk about dynamism and that's part of it. Just the creativity takes us by surprise. And boy, if the person who dreamed up this thing can't see the, the ramifications of it, how, how can government give me a break? Right, right. Well, and the, the the great follow to innovation takes us by surprise is otherwise it could be planned and therefore socialism would work. Right. Right? <laughs> yep. Which I think is pretty intense. Uh, well, well, we're getting getting closer on, but I got I got one I can probably sneak in here in the last minute before our break. Okay. And this is just an observation that I I made today. Did you see that the uh, President Obama just bought a new house? Did you see that? Oh yeah, and uh, Martha's yeah, Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. So here's here's my point. It's a nice house, beautiful. I mean, just, I just saw some pictures of it. Looks lovely. And I got, look, I got no problem with President Obama making lots of money off his speeches. I'm a you know a capitalist, so God bless him. I think that's wonderful. Yep. Um, I just, my observation, however, is is that he must not be too concerned with rising sea levels, though, because <laughs> it's on the water, and <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're doomed in 12 years and counting. <laughs> so maybe maybe he just wants to go out in style is what I'm thinking. But I, I do find that, you know, there's a little hypocrisy going on there. I'm just saying. Although he was the one that said, wasn't he the one that said the seas start, stop rising? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're the ones we've been waiting for and the notions will heal. So maybe maybe yeah. that's why. Maybe that's yeah. why. It could be. Stop yep. the oceans from rising. I, I, I'm, I'm reading an economist. There's a big art writer 
write up about the oceans are rising and, you know, this is a big problem and insurance companies, especially in the States have a incentive to hide these risks from their investors. And it's like, really, really, that's the argument that the actuaries and the, the <laughs> are hiding these risks from their investors or is it because hmm, the market's saying it's really not a problem and we can go ahead and keep <laughs> selling real estate in coastal areas and not worry about them being underwater in five years? <clears throat> right. Well, I mean, there was a story about Jakarta being moved, which is true. I don't know if you saw that, but the car, the, the capital of Malaysia is is officially moved because Jakarta is sinking. I don't think it's right. necessarily the sea rising so much as it was built on marshland and the whole thing is sinking. So right. <laughs> that's, that's a bigger, bigger problem. But anyway, we're up against our first break. Want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And we do absolutely love to hear from you. It's Free Rider Fridays when we do bring up some of your letters that you send us, as well as any reviews that you place on iTunes or any of the other platforms that are out there. Uh, Want to remind you of the the event, the Verisage Symposium event coming in soon, and that would be the week of November 11th, and that will be in mostly Melbourne and Geelong, Australia. So if you're interested in that, please uh, shoot us an email, and we'd we love to talk about it. But the easiest way to find out more information is go to verisage.com slash VDU. That's Verisage down under, VDU, for more information. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Rider Friday for the month of August. And Ed, since Monday is Labor Day, I thought I'd drop in a little labor update here. Okay, uh, good. 
In the 1950s, nearly 30% of workers had union contracts. Today, the number is about 11%. And that includes 35% of government workers, but the private sector share that are in unions is 6.5%. I've been tracking that number since I read Free to Choose in 1980, and Melton Friedman constantly predicted that the share of private sector unions would go down to an mm-hmm. insignificant number. <laughs> and I think we're there. Six right. and a half percent is pretty insignificant. Now, government unions, obviously still very powerful, very influential, big money donors, all of that. But six and a half in the private sector is nothing. And one of the problems is their business model, the fundamental structures and the rights and the powers of unions go back to the 1935 National Labor Relations Act, right? Mm -hmm. Which specifies nearly every aspect of the way they operate. And David Rolfe, who is the former president of the Service Employees International Union, right? So the SEIU, these are like the hotel workers in Vegas and, you know, Mm -hmm. restaurant Mm -hmm. workers and all that type of thing. He thinks this needs to change. Um, you know, <laughs> unions can face felony charges if they sell anything of value to employers. Um, in right-to-work states, they must provide workers the benefits of a union contract without collecting a penny of dues. They can't hold equity positions in the companies that they organize. Um, and he sees this as a big problem. He wants to create an ARP for workers, a national self-sustaining voluntary organization that advocates public policies intended to raise wages and improve lives for working and middle-class people. Um, now, you know, th- this guy's interesting. He's in favor of lower payroll taxes. He stands against corporate welfare and he spouts free market urbanist talking points on housing policy. Of course, most of his other politics are pretty progressive, but you know, I've, I've thought for a long time that the business model of the union was pretty, pretty silly and that they needed to, you know, I think this ARP idea has actually got some legs. They could have work councils. They could unbundle some of their services. You know, they are kind of experts at employee benefit management. They could outsource that to companies, benefits mm-hmm. administration. They could um, uh, they could they could create hiring halls, right, for project based work. They could be like a task rabbit um, for unionized companies providing you know unionized labor to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think unions should be obligated to provide anything to those who, who don't pay them dues. So, I mean, these rules that go back to 35 are just, they're, they're binding as all get out and they just need to be released from these. I mean, these, these rules are just obsolete. And since they've already lost power, then they can morph and experiment with other models and try and do other things. Why shouldn't an organization like a union be allowed to buy stock in a company. Oh, I know. I totally agree with that. They could, should be completely unbuttled. Here's a great example again of legislation begets legislation and legislation holds on to the past and doesn't allow innovation to happen in the market space. You know, kind of conversely on, on this, you know, one of the things we always hear about Citizens United here in the States and how horrible a decision it was because it allows corporate speech, blah, 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 blah. Whenever I get in conversations with people, I say, well, what about unions? Should unions be able to use their union dues to be able to 
back in, back candidates or make political speech. And people are like, well, yeah, absolutely. I said, well, what makes them different from any corporation, <laughs> other other type of corporation? Yep. Right. That they should be able to speak, but a, a corporation that's organized around, I don't know, making glasses or razor blades or whatever, they they can't speak, right? Now, for the record, just as really side note, I would actually I would actually be in favor of a ban on all political speech that's funded by a company, by all kinds, all corporations. As long as, in addition to that, we eliminated the minimum amount of campaign contributions that an individual can make across the board. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because then it then it then it's back to the individual, and I'm I'm also, and this is a very unpopular opinion in, in favor of of fully anonymous political speech. Sure, right? Because I think there is a chilling effect that can happen, and you know, see see what happened. I guess in is it uh, was it New Mexico? No, it's Texas. Here in Texas, in El Paso, right? That that uh, Congress Congress critter, as I like to call him, who who called out all of the donors in his district who donated yes. the maximum to 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 Trump, yeah. And, you know, again, not not a Trump fan. Didn't vote for the guy, so let's, we don't even have to go down that path. But it's it, it's just that that's that's a put going to put a chill in free speech, and I think that's a problem. So. Yeah, and the other the other point I just wanted to make, just bouncing off the uh, last topic I brought up about Jobs and the iPhone not being able to see how that would unfold and morph, just like you said, you know, legislation is just locked these organizations into a model that's just completely irrelevant in the knowledge economy and they haven't begun to adapt. It mm-hmm. just shows you the difference between, you know, a, a highly regulated sclerotic organization versus the free market that can easily adapt and, you know, change to, to fit users needs. And the unions certainly haven't done that. And that's why they're dying. Mm-hmm. Well, on the subject of labor, Ron, and I, I, perhaps you did see this too. There were some quotes that they put together on uh, early quotes about minimum wage and employment, mm-hmm. which was really very interesting. So, I, and I'm not going to read all seven of these because they did a, a, a big long story on these seven different quotes and some details on them. But I just wanted to to read one because, you know, we hear a lot about this and increase the minimum wage and. Both you, 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 and I think that the you know minimum wage is a terrible idea, and as our guest Walter Williams said, it doesn't even pass the smell test, right? <laughs> yep. in, in in terms of the harm harm that it does across the board, does it benefit a few people? Yep, there's no question about that. But you know, as Henry Hazlitt said in in economics in one lesson, it's it the, the good economists look at the long term and across all groups, not just the short term and one group, right? right? So this is a quote, and this is a a Princeton scholar and labor commissioner sent a, a letter to Woodrow Wilson mm. about about this, and this was his his suggestion to Wilson around the minimum wage. He says, "quote It is much better to enact minimum wage law, even if it deprives these unfortunates of work." Better that the state should support the inefficient wholly and prevent the multiplication of the breed than to subsidize incompetence and unthrift, enabling them to bring forth more of their kind. (laughs) There's such a eugenics lineage to this idea. It's absolutely repulsive, right? I mean, it's absolutely repulsive, that kind of thought. Yet, what I don't understand is how people don't see that the people who are most affected by minimum wage laws, and this is, this is uh, you can look at this in the literature, uh, it happens to be African-American males. 
Like it's by and large, it's, it's not even close. They're the ones who are most affected by it. And I think that that's absolutely terrible. That and it's a, and it's a feature, Ed, not a bug. Yeah. And, but the, but these people will, well, it's not racism. Like, well, and, and these are the people who will call racism at, on, on a lot of different things. And like, well, what, but this policy is harming people. Yep, Davis no. Bacon Act, so you know that type of thing. Same thing. It's got it's got this eugenic streak and this racist streak. It's amazing. Yeah, and the economics yeah. profession doesn't come come off very good in this whole oh, matter no, no, either. No. They were no. a bunch of you know eugenicists, and they they kind of have a checkered history on that. Yeah, and really unfortunate. But I I think we just got to continue to call this this out. I mean, I what. There was a great meme that went around. You know, I, I'm not against all of these social programs, blah 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 blah. I just don't think that government is the the place that where it needs to be implemented, right? Because it does such an awful job at it. Is really the case. And again, to your point about if if you know Steve Jobs couldn't see what the iPhone was going to do, why do some bureaucrats in in government think that they can they can play with the economy by, by tr- changing a few knobs in it? It's just it's really it's harmful. It is. It is. Was that out of fee, Ed? Was that? Was it, it was. Yep. It, yep. I think I saw that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That. That's good. Yep. It's good stuff. Um, well, I got another one out of fee, and uh, by Doctor Rainier Zeidelman, who says mm-hmm. Africa doesn't need more development aid; it needs more capitalism. You know, in 1990, the UN made a commitment to reduce global poverty by 50 percent within 25 years. And uh, they achieved it largely due to China's success. Mm-hmm. The um, continent of Africa, the decrease in poverty only went from 56.8% to 42.7%. Um, and 20% of Africans live under the specter of starvation, a higher percentage anywhere else in the world. And, you know, the thing is, <laughs> the trillion dollars in aid that we have spent and other countries have spent trying to develop uh, countries just doesn't work. I mean, I, there's a Senegalese president who's quoted as saying, I've never seen a country develop itself through aid or credit. Europe, America, Japan, Asian countries, Taiwan, Korea, and Singapore have all believed in free markets. There's no mystery there. Uh, China alone has taken extreme poverty from 88% in 1981 to below 1% today. And, um, there's a, there's a great book, Dead Aid. I think we've talked about this book before by an economist, uh, African economist. But, you know, she makes the point that this one trillion in development assistance just hasn't worked. And what 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 Africa needs more than anything is, is free market capitalism. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't need gifts. It doesn't need it. It needs markets. It needs entrepreneurship, jobs, mm-hmm. businesses. And it's, it's just, you know, even Bono sees this now. I know. And I go back and, and, and I think I saw a story about her about a month ago. I meant to flag it and I must not have, but our guest, uh, Maget Wade. Yes. Who, and I believe she, she's Senegalese. And, and yes. uh, so, so hopefully she's had an impact because there was, I, I think we talked about on, on the show with her. She called out some government official in a, in a, in a public speech uh, about this. So maybe they're getting the message. That, that would be a wonderful thing. It would. It, it sure would. Well, folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can send us an email to 
asktsoe at barrisage.com, and we will post full show notes of all the topics that Ed and I are discussing today at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're free riding here on Friday on the Soul of Enterprise. And, and Ron, again, something that we talked about in a bonus episode that I just can't resist and talk about with our Soul of Enterprise listeners uh, in, the, in our, on our main feed, and that is the Hasbro game <laughs> Monopoly Socialism Edition. <laughs> Love that. Which... You know, the tagline, by the way, is winning is for capitalists. So, and this, this kind of exploded late last week and I've still been trying to get a hold of this. I guess it's still available on, from third party parties on, on uh, Amazon, but not directly through Amazon. It is a parody in, in which Basically, the deal is is that you want to leave everybody with instead. You start with fifteen hundred dollars, but you want to end up with everybody staying the same at three hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the goal <laughs> um, of the game. And boy, there were some people who were really they had no sense of humor about this whatsoever. Oh no, they're clutching their pearls and they're all upset about this. And in fact, the guy who wrote about it on his Twitter feed is a historian. Nick, yeah. Nick, yeah. Nick Kapoor. And he, and, and he said, yes, obviously whoever did this doesn't understand what socialism is. No, it sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> <It sounds> pretty- <laughs> 
Well, and of course, of course, the, the actual irony here in all of this is that the game Monopoly was a knockoff of a of a game called the Landlord's Game, which was developed by a socialist in the right. progressive era to to demonstrate the evils of capitalism. Right. Right. So there's. I mean, this is like we're talking about full circle here, right? So. Right. And, you know, if you've ever played Monopoly, which I have, and I, I used to like it as a kid, uh, but it, but it's it it it's not it has nothing to do with with actual business, right? Because the, the it's a game, it's a conquest game, right? No. The, the, yeah. the purpose of it is to bankrupt all of the other players and leave them, you know, with nothing. Right. right? At, <laughs> at best, what Monopoly I think can teach you know, especially young kids is, is trade-offs, right? right. If, I, if I buy this, should I not buy this and wait till I land on a better property? You know, those types of decisions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good for illustrating that. But beyond that, I mean, that Nick guy on Twitter was saying, oh, well, this is ridiculous. You don't pay a bank in socialism. Well, you don't pay a bank in capitalism either. And no <laughs> bank gives me every $200 every time I pass go. Right. You know, it's a game for crying out loud. But what I loved about it is you don't get $200 for pass and go. You get a $50 living wage. <laughs> it's a universal income, Ron. It's a universal. UBI. Yeah. UBI. It's going to be all right. And, and, and I think you have to pay 10% of it like it, right away to the bank. Yeah. Yeah. And they probably don't have a jail. They probably have a gulag. No, no, it is a jail. It, it is, is a jail. jail. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I did some further research on this and, and found out some interesting stuff about it. But did you find out it's, it's not a Hasbro product, is it? No, or, it is. A, it, it, this it is, is a Hasbro. Hasbro. Okay. Because, yeah. yeah, I saw some of the, the you know, the, the, the cards and the board and it looked like it had like the Hasbro copyright, but then other images led me to believe that it wasn't. So it's really weird. Well, so it, it, I think it was getting mixed up with another thing and because there, there was a thing called socialism, the game, mm-hmm. right? Which, and we'll put a link up to that one as well. And, and that that's been out for a number of years. I think that came out in 2016 because they was they even called it like the election edi- edition because it's got Bernie Sanders and 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 Hillary Clinton on the cover. Right. And now what that is is that is that is a game that was developed and it's meant to be a supplement to the original Monopoly. So you play it on on an original Monopoly board with a different set of rules. Right, right, right. So I think what was happening is that that pe- that that those things were getting kind of crossed up in the in this story. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Right, but the other one is equally funny too because they they have got got some real interesting things that they do in in the in the the the, the version where you just pl- you do play with a monopoly board, but. Anyway, that, oh. I, I just couldn't leave that one alone because I just, oh, no. I just, I, it's just so good. I've been howling about that since I read that and we discussed it. It's just hilarious. Just absolutely yeah. love that. And it was like a $90 game on the Amazon. Well, so that was it. I, I, and I, I still can't find like what the actual price of it is supposed to be uh, because that was like through third-party sellers. And when this story hit, I think that the, they, they all jacked their price up, which again is – talk about irony right, right. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like having to pay to go see Karl Marx's grave right, right. I love yeah. Yeah, privatize like, that yep whoops okay <laughs> that's that, didn't see that one coming but 
Yeah, so I have not. I've yet to see it because I did try. I found I found the title of it on the Target website, but there was nothing there. Like you couldn't buy it. I guess so. I guess Target right. must have gotten pack, you know afraid of what was happening and kind of backed off it. So anyway, right? No, just that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, Ed, we did a show a while back. Yeah, I think it's been quite a while back actually. I have to go back and find it. Put a link to it on corporate social responsibility. Yes. Right? And uh, there's been few articles in Fee on this theme over uh, the last couple of weeks. And this one is Melton Friedman was right on corporate guidance and woke CEOs ignore him at shareholder peril. The business roundtable has come out with a new definition of the purpose of a corporation. Mm-hmm. And it, it, <laughs> it is, okay, here's their definition. Corporation is not to end independently pursue profit, but rather pursue profit congruous with social good. Now, you know, to reiterate Friedman's argument in his famous paper, there's only one uh, social responsibility of business to use its resources and engage in activities designed to increase its profits so long as it stays within the rules of the game, which is to say engages in open and free competition without deception or fraud. And that's usually left out, right? Uh-huh. He's saying as long, as long as you play within the game. And, but who decides the, the definition of social responsibility as if right. you know, somehow the pursuit of profit is, is, is immoral or at cross purposes with, you know, serving others besides shareholders, right? I mean, a good company has to take care of its employees, has to take care of its suppliers, its customers. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on there. And I, it, it's so mushy to think about, you know, this triple bottom line or how do we, how do we measure our impact, you know, and who decides what that is? Is it reducing our carbon footprint? Is it, you know, how many polar bears we save. I mean, Friedman basically said the discussion of the social responsibilities of business are notable for their analytical looseness and lack of rigor. And, and that's really true. I mean, you can see the devastating effects on corporate reputation and shareholder value when you look at Starbucks, right? Target, Dick's Sporting Good, IBM, Disney, ESPM, Kellogg's. All of these companies have learned punishing lessons <laughs> about mm-hmm you know, going out and, and making some big deal about corporate social responsibility. And, and, and Friedman, I just love this dire warning from his article. Uh, the doctrine of social responsibility involves the acceptance of the socialist view that political mechanisms, not market mechanisms, are the appropriate way to determine the allocation of scarce resources to alternative uses. And I just, I, I keep going back to it, Ed, but I think there's so many lessons embedded in it. Think of the iPhone. Did mm-hmm. that, was that socially responsible? Even though Jobs didn't see what a tenth of it, what it would do. Mm-hmm. Think, of, think of the knock-on effects of that. Think mm-hmm. of what it's enabled. New business models, Airbnb, Uber. I mean, we could go down the list. Right. And yeah. so I just, which, you know, which, this, yeah. Yeah, I know. I think it's 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 ex- extraordinarily important. I, I look, we and I think we can, we have a. I don't know if we have a difference of opinion I, I, on this corporate social responsibility stuff. I think I come down on the side of I think it's completely fine as long as the corporation is making that known that that's what it's doing. Oh no, right? I, I do too, and we've talked okay. about that, like B corporations, whatever, or what. Yeah. What, what is yeah. it? Whole Foods, what he does, or yeah. even Target. Conscious to some capitalism. Extent. 
yeah, if they want to give, you know, 10% of before tax profits, that's fine. That's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that either. But just just from an economic standpoint, I'm very skeptical of it because like Friedman argues, and it's a two-prong argument and everybody misses the second prong. An organization is a very specific entity that is designed to do only a few things well. And and those few things are really hard, right? Add value to mm-hmm. the customer, innovate, blah, blah, blah. It, it just can't do these other things. It just doesn't have the knowledge. It's an, it's it's the calculation problem or the knowledge problem. Right. And it, it, it doesn't have the knowledge to be able to do good through it, through whatever profit distribution it's going to make. Right. And, and there was another fantastic follow-up article on this in fee. Should corporations consider any stakeholders other than shareholders? And it quoted C.S. Lewis from, of all places, uh, the Chronicles of Narina, uh, Narnia. 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 Um, but he, Lewis makes the distinction between advancing ethics and advancing knowledge. And mm. what this article pointed out was the business roundtable's new conception of a corporation is not an advance of ethics. There's nothing new here. It's an advance of knowledge in how to achieve shareholder value. Sure. Just like, just like when Friedman was shown the J and J credo, right? Which says, you know, we put our, our, basically our customers first, right? The moms and dads and the doctors who use our products. And then we put our employees and, and then, you know, I forget the hierarchy, but there was a hierarchy and shareholders were last. And Friedman right. was shown this and said, doesn't this contradict your, your article? And he said, no, it makes my point. It, the fact that the company has to do all those things in order to get to that end result is, is what I'm arguing. Right. And, you know, that's a really good point. So I just, you know, all this talk about social investing and, and all this stuff, it's like, you know, no, these are very limited organizations with very specific purposes and to ask them to go outside of their lane is um, probably not a good idea. Yeah. Well, I was reminded quickly this week about a guest that we've had on well, probably three years ago. Remember, do you remember when Baruch Lev was on? Yes. Right. And, and, you know, we, cause we talked a lot about this and, you know, he, his book, the end of accounting, which we both think is, is fantastic. Although you understand it 10 times better than me, but that's, that's beside the point. Um, you, you know, he, he, I think makes the point about that, you know, if corporations were just in it for the short term overall, why would they make ever, why would they ever make any investments in infrastructure? Oh, I know. I, I am right? so sick of that argument. Why would they right. put I mean, all the IT, money? Why do we put CRM systems in? That, I mean, oh. it take a decade to get back in terms of, of, of value in some cases. Right? The, the, the R&D, why would we spend over a trillion or whatever it is collectively in R&D that these corporations spend? How could mm-hmm. Amazon have stayed so long or Uber for that matter? Uber's not right. making that much money. You know, in fact, I think it's back to losses this year. I think it did turn a profit in 18, but, you know, very marginal. Um, but or Tesla, you know, yeah, yeah. The market values these things. Yeah, they're long-term bets. Google, Tesla, they go down the list. Facebook, Twitter, blah blah blah. Yep, yep. All right. Well, uh, we're past our last break, Ron. Want to get this in? Want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by going to w- the website, thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see show notes and previews to upcoming shows, as well as our archive page of all 250 something shows that we've done before. But right now, a word from our sponsors and my employer, Sage. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise free riding on friday for august 2019 and ron uh, of course one of our our great Friends of this show, George Gilder, who we may have a stunning announcement coming up soon about that. Yep. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you take that piece of it. But one of the things in his book uh, that he talks about the, the uh, um, what, now I can't think of the name of the good, uh, Life After Google, Life After Google, is some alternatives to Google products. Well, I found this week an article, which I'll post in the show notes on TechSpot. And it is a complete list of all alternatives to Google products, mm. right? So you can go through, and of course, one of the, the first ones it shows is all of the different uh, search pages that you can look at, including the one that I use, which is DuckDuckGo. Right. Uh, it's got some Gmail alternatives, including one called Dmail, which I think is, you know, that's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. And browsers, and of course, and, I, and I've mentioned the fact that I've, I've switched over over a year ago since talking to George to the Brave browser, so brave.com. Uh, I found that to be extraordinarily easy to do and switch over, and, and I, I, it's been working out great. I'm not, the, the DuckDuckGo search is not quite as good as Google search, I will admit that. But hey, uh, it, it, it's worth it just to, to not be on the Google products anymore. And they go through this and there's YouTube alternatives and Google Docs and Google Photos. So we'll put that complete list up on the, the page for you so that you can be aware of, of all those places where potentially you could you'd avoid the, uh, the, the great Google uh, spying ring that is them. <laughs> <laughs> I think my dad's even using DuckDuck go or whatever is he really yeah, yeah yeah he's he's kind of fed up with google too <laughs> just, it's just a little creepy 
It's just they they they've just surpassed the creep factor for me. That's all. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, they, I just read an interview with the guy from Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, and that you know he he did an uh, insider video on Google talking to an insider about how they're not going to let the Trump thing repeat. And um, he's got the documents to back it up. He's got an hour video. Of course, they pulled it off YouTube. Um, but, you know, he, he says, look, just go into Google and type in Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump's emails and it will auto finish for you. Then go in and try Hillary Clinton emails and nothing. Huh. I, and now I can't believe in all the, the users of Google that nobody's ever typed in Hillary Clinton's emails. <laughs> I would I would even think Bernie Sanders had done that, even though he was fed up with hearing about them. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you just, never know. You know. So, yeah, I hear you. Oh, that's great. That's yep. great. Well, maybe maybe George uh, is way ahead of his time and he's uh, he's he's close to the, the end of Google. Yeah, very interesting. Well, well you want to talk about that, Ron? You want to talk about that, that, that about George? Well, yeah, I was going to make it the announcement at the end like we normally do, but this is big enough. Uh, we got George Gilder coming back, folks, next week. And we specifically want to talk to him about Huawei mm-hmm. uh, and that big article that he had, Ed, on, on that and how he thinks that we're handling that wrong as a country. And I'm, I'm really interested in his current take because I think it's somewhat, it has settled down a little bit. There's still issues mm-hmm. and the UK has got a different approach that the economist outlined that I kind of want to talk to him about. But uh, I'm also really interested. I mean, he spent time, he did a, you can find this online, did a coffee chat with the CEO of Huawei, the founder. And it was really interesting. The media were there asking questions and, uh, and I'm also just really interested. I know he's been touring China and probably largely on his book more than the Huawei issue, I would think. And I'm just really interested in the, the reaction that he's gotten from the book and has he spoken to Google yet? So we're going to be able to ask him all this. I'm just thrilled he's coming back. Yeah, no, always, always thrilled to have George on the show. And I'm glad we, we repeated the, the, uh, the Life After Google show only a couple of weeks ago. So those of you who have been listening, uh, we, you're, all, you're all set up and right Right, right in the in the crosshairs for a great conversation with George Gilder. And if you have any questions or thoughts for for us that what you think we should ask George, we'd love to hear from you. So please, uh, please hashtag Ask TSOE with those those questions, and we will we will take a look at them and hopefully incorporate them into our conversation with uh, with the great George Gilder. For sure. And now I've got one here from Rabbi Lappin. This is from his weekly thing that he calls Thought Tools. It's usually, you know, like 800 words on some you know, Jewish principle or something that he applies to, to real life, real uh, issues. And he's talking about one of our former guests, Dan Ariely. Um, and he says, look, he's a smart, very well guy. He's an Israeli-American teacher at Duke University. But his recent answer to the question, because he... Um, he had an article in the Wall Street Journal. He, he's got a weekly column in column, the Wall Street yep, Journal. Yep. Yeah. Um, recent answer to the question of whether people's salaries accurately reflect the value they provide to, to society, according to Lappin, lacked wisdom. <laughs> and he said, citing teachers, uh, it, Lappin said, let me just say that, you know, since rabbi means teacher, most rabbis feel they're underpaid. 
<laughs> so we can we can dispense with that, right? We're let's face it, we're all underpaid. Uh, he says, but I'm not that interested in the feelings of rabbis. I'm much more interested in their thoughts than in their feelings. He says, and it was Dan's closing sentence that revealed his lack of wisdom. Here it is. Maybe one day we will evolve as a society and base people's salaries on their actual contribution to the common good. So, you know, and this ties back, I'm sorry to say it again, but to Jobs iPhone, which bureaucrat is going to decide the biggest contribution to the common good, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Lappin points out, and this is a great point, money confers independence. Another citizen can earn the gratitude of that citizen in the form and and need not wait for the government to either approve or evaluate the transaction. That is a really good point. That mm-hmm. it, you know, money just it, it gives you freedom. I mean, we call it capitalist acts between consenting adults humorously, but you know, Blappin points out the value of something can only be established by two people: the buyer and the seller. And um, money encourages the wholesome person-to-person interaction. Um, so he said, you know, like people, money is more spiritual than f- physical. And then, of course, he brings up the Hebrew word "damon." He said, you know, which um, means both money and blood, which is interesting because we don't speak of a money or a blood. Hey, bring me some up, you know, bring me some of that. We say, bring me blood, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. plural, bring me money. Um, so it's, it's, um, it, it, he says, we know that hemorrhages of both blood and money are bad. Both have to keep flowing to fulfill their purposes. So I just thought that was interesting that he kind of took Mr. Ariely to task, but you know, if, if things weren't decided by the market, like back to Friedman's point, how would we make those decisions about what people's contributions are? And yeah, we can all sit here and intuitively agree that a teacher is worth more than, you know, Michael Jordan or may, might make a bigger contribution or have a bigger impact. But that's not how markets work and markets aren't about fairness. So it just seems like uh, you go down a really terrible road when you start having other people decide what people's contributions are other than the people yeah. directly involved in the transaction. Right. And I personally think that the market dynamism does a, not a great, not, not, not the perfect job, but a pretty darn good job at allocating the, the, the salary to the people who are creating a lot of value for others. So why I disagree with their area. Anyway, Rob, we've, we explained what we have coming up next week. George Gilder really thrilled to, to have him back on the show. Uh, I guess I'll see you in 167 hours though. All right. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific time for the great George Gilder. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. And if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. Have a great holiday weekend.